Alright, what's up everyone? Welcome to the second episode of the Slap the Ass Show. It is Sunday, May 9th. I'm here with my co-host, Luke Kanas. And Luke, I just want to start off the show by saying Happy Mother's Day to your mother in particular. And Jimmy, Happy Mother's Day to your mother as well. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I'm so thankful for your mother. She uh, gave me a great <laughs> friend, uh, an awesome landlord who charged me a very low rate for my room in this house. So uh, it was a nice win-win situation. The feeling is mutual, Jimmy. Your mother <laughs> gave the world a great gift. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, I guess before we dive into anything, uh, what are you drinking tonight, Lee? Drinking some Kona's? Yes, Kona, uh, Big Wave, Gold Nail. Nice. So. Yeah, it's funny, I was in the beer store today, and our friend Sean just got a dog. And oh, yeah. He and his girlfriend named the dog Kona, and, you know, whatever, I was in the beer store, and I saw Kona in the store, I was like, oh, I gotta get this now. It just, you might like, as well, right? It connected in my head. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> It's a very tasty beer, I have to say. It's like one of my favorites. Yep. So, start off this episode of the episode number two of the Slap the Ask show. Um, just want to give a disclosure. This is not financial advice. You should not buy or sell any stocks based on what we talk about. Um, and really, to start the show, we just want to talk about the past week in the OTC markets and in crypto, what our thoughts were on it. The whole SNL shindig with Elon Musk and the Dogecoin. And then we have a very special treat for you after the introduction. We interviewed Bill's Stocks and Thoughts on Twitter. He's at BillStocks1, and we had a great interview. I think it was about 40, 45 minutes we did yesterday uh, on Saturday. And we're recording this intro on Sunday. And this episode will be released at uh, 9 o'clock tonight. So, with that, Jimmy, uh, let's kick off the recap <clears throat> for the week. Yeah. All right. I think uh, this conversation cannot uh, really happen if we don't mention Ethereum. You know, Ethereum I agree. had a massive week. I think now it's trading at like the 3,800 level. Yep. Um, it's at an all-time high, I think, relative to the price of Bitcoin currently. Right. Um, so, one thing that I find kind of interesting about Ethereum is... So the people like Mark Cuban and the other crypto heads, they're treating Ethereum, or they're saying Ethereum can now be treated as a better store of value than Bitcoin, so because it's much more accessible for like the average person to get into it. You know, for 30, Ethereum? Yeah, I mean, compared to Bitcoin, at $57,000 a coin, Ethereum is yeah. cheaper, and there's a bit more use cases, like with the rise of NFTs mm -hmm. being built on the uh, the Ethereum like protocol. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the biggest difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum, from what I know, and from what I've researched, is Bitcoin is essentially it's a store of value, right? And it's the blockchain verifies who owns the coin, when it's being traded, or not traded, I guess bought from someone else. And typically transactions will take anywhere from, you know, a couple minutes to 15 minutes, whereas in Ethereum, transactions take a matter of seconds. So it's a much more efficient method. But with Ethereum, they're mining coins... Um, I think they're mining about 18 million coins a year, whereas Bitcoin's going to cap at around 21 million. So Bitcoin is more like gold, whereas there's a there's a there's a certain supply. So the so when you put money into it, it's going to hold its value a lot better. Whereas with Ethereum, it's more speculative and based on uh, the usage abilities of Ethereum, like you were saying with NFTs and. Um, smart 
contracts, as they call them. Yeah, and one thing I find interesting about Ethereum compared to Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, you know, <clears throat> Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin, is like an anonymous figure, right? No one knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Bitcoin founder, or the Ethereum founder, is a known person. You know, he's a Canadian Russian uh, person. I forget his name. Vital. The Ethereum founder. Yeah, it's yeah, like Vital. Yeah, he wore that, uh, that cat shirt with the rainbows for that one interview. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean he's twenty-seven and a billionaire in Ethereum. So he's, I mean he's doing, he's killing it. Doing Can't well. forget it. Uh, the name is escaping me. Vital something. But I mean we know who we, we know who it is though. You know we know there's a team of like decentralized like uh, blockchain engineers or whatever, they're kind of developing and progressing the Ethereum protocol, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what they feel it's best to. Yeah, I mean, you know me, I mean, I'm very bullish on Ethereum. Um, mm-hmm. With the limited knowledge that I have is, first of all, when NFTs were introduced and the Ethereum chain or the Ether was what was being used for those transactions, it shows that the usability of Ethereum is a very real, you know, it's a very real product. You can actually use Ethereum to streamline these transactions. Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if Ethereum, like, if the real estate world said, <clears throat> you know, we're going to use Ethereum for all these transactions, Ethereum's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. You know, NFT world was a newer thing. Ethereum was used for the transactions, for the contracts, and it blew up. So, you know, who's to say that something like that can, can't come around down the road and continue to increase the, the price of Ethereum? Yeah, totally. And I feel like also as Ethereum goes up, you know, the price goes up and the, like, the gas fees associated with using Ethereum go up as well. And I feel like that's also giving a nice uh, purview, a nice like way for the altcoins to follow suit and gain in value. Something like Matic yep. or One Harmony. I love Matic. Yeah. I love One. Yeah, I mean, both those coins are kind of like just supposed to be better versions of Ethereum, essentially. I know One Harmony is supposed to be Ethereum <laughs> 2.0. Transactions look like that. Super right. cheap. Um, Matic... I was already handling a super insane high level of a transaction volume. I think it's like the fifth highest of all the protocols. Yeah, like the and it just, I think Ethereum ran, I want to say 200% in the last week and a half. Or not Ethereum, Matic. Oh, yeah. Ran like 200%. Because I bought in at like 32, mm-hmm. and I sold at like 54, 55, and I thought I had great returns. Ended up running to like, I think it's at like 97 cents now. It's yeah, I mean. dollar. I actually bought Somatic last night. Oh, you did buy <laughs> Yeah, I drunk with me when we were hanging out with Sean and hanging out with Conan the dog. Oh, and I was yeah. like, you know, let me put some, like, I'll let me put like five grand into this. And you put five grand into yeah, it? Yeah, I put five grand in. I bought it like 84 cents, something like that. Is that 97? Yeah, now now it's like a dollar at one. So just kind of. So is that a some... long hold for you, or what do you think in there? Yeah, I think it's a long hold. Um, You're going to scout profits along the way, or? Probably. I have to, I mean, yeah. With Again, we'll learn from our. Uh, our interview with Bill, securing mm-hmm. profits is an important thing. So I'll, I'll probably sell some along the way, but my first target price I'm looking for is like a dollar twenty. Yeah, I think, uh, and I mean it's moving nicely. It has insane volume right now. I think in the last twenty four hours we had like one hundred twenty million coins exchanged. <laughs> so yeah. we're moving pretty nicely with Matic. Um, I guess now let's pivot to uh, the coin everyone wants to talk about, Dogecoin. Dogecoin. SNL happened last night. Yeah. Of course. Um, as Elon's talking in his monologue, the price begins to plummet. That's a hindsight twenty twenty thing, right? Sell the news. Yeah, you know one thing that I've learned, and we'll learn in the Bills Stocks interview after this, is people know when they're going into a major catalyst event that people are already buying the coin based on the speculation. So the speculation is building before the event. So, I mean, the old adage came true, sell the news, and people sold the news. But, I mean, today on Sunday... 
Dogecoin's making a little bit of a bounce back. I mean, it dropped, like, I think almost 40% at one point, and now it's only down, like, 13% or so in the last 24 hours. So I don't think Dogecoin's over. I think I think it's got the volume, it's got the internet attention, and I think it's here to stay. Yeah, I agree. It's got to have a... You know, a stomach for the volatility. I saw somewhere on Twitter, I think <coughs> Musk said that um, you can accept SpaceX is beginning to accept Dogecoin payments. <laughs> I don't know who the hell's getting on a rocket ship really? and paying a Dogecoin, but yeah, it and, seems uh, like that's Mark happening. Cuban, the Dallas Mavericks, they accept uh, Dogecoin at their games. Yeah, so I mean, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, while, you know, it was a bit of a, you know, a super red day last night, you know, Dogecoin's not going away. I don't hold any Dogecoin currently. I don't know, I just, the lack of use case that was designed in its creation has me, like, concerned with the fact that now it's actually developing use cases through, you know, yeah. the public, through Musk <laughs> and Mark Cuban and others. Maybe yeah. I should get into it. I don't really know. I bought um, some for fun. But, I mean, I had the same hesitations as you do. But, I mean, it continues to go up. It's crazy. Yeah, seriously. So. I, mean, it, I mean, I think Dogecoin is a perfect example of just, like, economics. You know, at the end of the day, all economics is supply and demand, right? Yeah. There's a lot of demand. There's a lot of hype for it. The supply, I think, I forget what it is, like 120 billion coins is all there could be. It's a lot. Yeah. Coin or something like that. But like, I think there's already 110 billion uh, mined currently. So there, there's the mining aspect of Dogecoin. Like, there's not many coins left to be mined on the grand scheme of things. Right. So the supply so will... So it's going to cap. Yeah. If, there, the, there's if a cap the demand is there, it's going to continue to go up. Yeah, I mean, my little brother's texting me about Dogecoin, you know? It's like, yeah. everyone knows about Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah, it's... my mom was texting me about uh, Dogecoin. <laughs> so, yeah. Talking I... about Mother's Day. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Try and make some money. But, but... yeah, um, what did you think about the uh, the SNL skit? I thought, I personally, I thought it was painfully awkward. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, I love Elon Musk, I love what he's doing, but I, I, don't, I don't think uh, comedic acting... Is calling. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Community Axe is calling. Honestly, I don't even think SNL is that funny anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the best days for SNL for me were, like, the presidential debates when, like, Will Ferrell was impersonating George Bush. I thought that stuff was hilarious. Chris Farley? Well, yeah. It, well, that's even further back. Like, the 90s. Oh, it was great. I thought, yeah, like, the last time it was good for me, I was like, I don't know, early 2000s when we were young kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know. There were some good things during the Trump administration from SNL, but this, the past few months, I don't know, hasn't really been too exciting for yeah. me but yeah musk <laughs> genius <laughs> engineer genius innovator acting uh not so much not so much but so can't be perfect everything i guess that's crypto for the week we had the big runners we had matic we had ethereum um but let's talk about otc markets our bread and butter yeah so for my focus this week on otc was pretty much purely the uh, the george sharp custodianships so mm-hmm. i remember when i was in ltnc you know, back in February when we bought and we sold, you know, last month, I hated Sharp. I was like, this dude is bashing our stock. You know, he is, you know, bringing out the bears for LTNC. I yeah. hated it. But at the end of the day, he is, you know, the OTC king. That dude knows how to get current. He knows OTC markets like the back of his hand. Made TSNP, you know, from worthless, you know, mm-hmm. a flooring company that's worthless to having a reverse merger with Humble. And end up being one of the most insane runs for a stock ever in history. Yeah. Point zero zero one up to you know a couple bucks. Yeah, I mean, thousand extra money, right? But 
But, uh, so let's talk about our personal acquisitions this week. So Jimmy and I bought into GVSI at around four cents. I averaged down a little bit, about 0 0.035. But, uh, yeah, I mean, basically we're, we're basing it on speculation that George Sharp is going to turn it around similar to what he did with TSNP. There's going to be a merger acquisition hopefully coming up. There's no dilution. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good signs for the stock, I think. Yeah, the way I see it, I mean, I got into GS, GVSI a little too high. I paid like 0.043. I have 110 shares, 110,000 shares currently. Yeah. But with TSMP, Sharp is just an advisor. You know, with GVSI, he is a custodian. He is Control. now the director. He's the president of the company. He mm -hmm. is controlling it. And, you know, he said back in early April he has candidates to reverse merge and bring in real assets into these essentially dead tickers. And bring real companies into the public markets and raise capital. So I'm confident. I mean, I'm going to hold. In regards to uh, like price targets, I'm hoping we get to ten cents within like by Friday of next week. So within like I don't know, was that yeah. thirteen days from now, fourteen days from now? Well, I think that's a thing. Is like when you enter a when you enter a penny stock, whether you're you know getting a full position or you're sizing in gradually. Um, whether or not it's within, you know, a few tenths of a penny, is that really going to dictate your position in the long run? No, right? Especially if you're swing trading. So I think, you know, whether you're, you know, five tenths of a penny off one way or the other, it's not going to make or break you. So if you're at four cents, you're at point zero three five, you're at three cents even, if it's going to run to ten at some point, you know, you're still going to make your margin. Yeah, and my thought about getting to GVSIs, I wanted to wait for confirmed custodianship news from Sharp. I wanted it to be confirmed. Right, because you could have bought and then it tanked because it wasn't confirmed. Yeah, so, um, I mean, in hindsight, I bought the rip, you know, when it was running my 60% plus day, I think it was on Wednesday. I bought it. Hindsight should have waited for it to settle down. I yeah. should have. I put a limited order in at 0.04 and it hit. hit it. Yeah, I mean, I think now it's at 0.032 or something like that, but... You know, I'm still confident in the position. I mean, the merger hasn't even happened. The reverse merger hasn't even <clears throat> taken place. I'm looking at also maybe opening a position at RETC. That's another George Sharp custodian. Well, there was a big sell-off of GVSI because there was speculation that George Sharp was going to be the custodian. And then uh, it wasn't confirmed. Of RETC. Or RETC, yeah. Yeah, so it's. I think they the former or the current managers, I guess, of the company, they're going back to court. And... Mm. Sharp willingly is going back to court because his argument is basically that the current managers have to prove that they're doing whatever's in the best interest of their shareholders currently. And it's either you know they prove that they're able to run the company in the best interest of their shareholders or they can't, in which case Sharp will take a sodium chip. So it's yeah. kind of like a win-win, but yeah, that news did take the stock like 30% on yeah. Friday. But that could, could present a buying good, opportunity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could present a nice buying opportunity this week. Um, other than that, I mean, GGII... That's the uh, Hempaco company. Yep, that's been big this week. That's been huge. I mean, this whole month, I mean, this, whole, this past two, three weeks, it ran, I think it's up like 3,000%. It's been killing it. Um, that's another stock that everyone's excited about. You know, mm -hmm. Hempaco is taking on the tobacco industry with their hemp cigarettes ideas that's healthier. And, you know, as tobacco, I mean, look at the Biden administration right now. They want to ban menthol cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a huge, like, punch to the tobacco industry. But really open opportunity for Hempaco. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a hot sector. You talk about diversifying across sectors, and I think the the well marijuana and uh, 
what do they call it? CBD, the yeah, CBD, CBD sector. I think it's it's got a lot of potential, but it's also it's got a lot of tickers. It's got a lot of tickers. I mean, I was a part of a stock HPSD a few months ago, Hemstract Inc., and it ran to like a dollar, and then it just crashed. I think it was like like thirty cents or something. Mm-hmm. So you never know. I mean, it's it's all speculation, really. Which ones are going to be the winners? Which ones are going to be the losers? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think GGII has a has a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean that's another reverse merger. You know, that's <clears throat> that's like I think the trend for the OTC um, for the past couple months has been like the big runners are either these biopharma companies like RGBP mm-hmm. or these reverse mergers like TSNP. So I think, you know, GBSI, RETC, GGII, I think those all present good opportunities. Obviously, I'm still holding my Vivanti position that I'll be holding probably to the day I die, honestly. That's mine. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm just, you know, still scalping, looking for other opportunities. But right now, my main focus is these custodianships from Sharp. I think yeah. those are, that's the money. I think that's where, you know, the most gains can be realized in the safest way. Yeah, I agree. And then I can talk about a, another position that I'm in, uh, a longer swing play, which has turned into sorts of a bag, as they call it, mm-hmm. um, INCT, Incapta Inc. I said to Jimmy, I said, stand the trading man, pumped or endorsed, whatever you want to call it, LTNC. Not not dissing the stock at all. I think you know, I think it has great potential. It could be a great project, uh, product with the hydrogen water. But uh, I said, I'm going to buy the next thing that he talks about. I watched the interview with the owners. I liked it. I bought in. I sized them with like you know seven hundred fifty thousand shares. Ended up averaging down to about one point two five million, and it's been consistently going down. And the one lesson I learned from that is don't, or me personally, I don't want to be investing with stocks with convertible notes, bad debt. And despite the fact that the management, the current management, wasn't responsible for that debt, it was the previous management. It's still affecting the stock price, and it really hinders the ability for the stock to go up. So, I mean, I'm fully confident as a shareholder that they're going to get rid of that debt long term, but now it's turning into a, you know, instead of a one-month, you know, two-month swing play, probably to be holding it for, you know, probably a year. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean, INCT is a dilution machine. When you got a stock that has, I think, 100 billion authorized shares... That's a you know it's a recipe for disaster when you have all those notes that could be converted still. Um, I guess here's a question I have for you: Is when do you cut that bag? You know, are you just gonna hold out and hope that you can break even? Well, here's the thing for me: I, at this point, I'm down about fifty two percent of my investment. Mm-hmm. I think it's about like thirty five hundred bucks to put into it. So at this point, I'm already down enough. I'm just gonna hold. But do you I'm think maybe? So you're down? I think I think they will get rid of the debt. I truly do like the management. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm banking on speculation, banking on the people, I'm banking on them getting a nice acquisition, like the Quantex Golf uh, acquisition that's coming up. They're a profitable company. I think the management's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, that's I'm just going to hold it at this point. Okay. I guess, like, to be a little bit of a pushback devil's advocate person. So you have, like, let's just say 1700 bucks in that ticker. It's very liquid, so you can sell it pretty easily. Oh, yeah. It's very a easy. dilution machine. It's a dilution machine. I don't see it ending anytime soon. Could you take that seventeen hundred bucks, put it into the GBSI or another company that you see doubling, make you know, relatively losses. soon? Yeah, just make back the losses instead of holding that bag, letting it just deteriorate. I could, I could, and that's something that I've thought about. But like I said, 
In the OTC, it's a lot of speculation, right? Mm-hmm. I truly think that they're doing their best to get rid of those convertible notes. I think it's five bad notes that they have, approximately like five hundred fifty thousand dollars, a little over half a million dollars. I think they can get rid of that. They're a positive cash flow company. They make money, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm confident in them. But you're right. I mean, is it the right decision? I don't know. Time will tell. So yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean. Everyone makes their own decisions and things like that. I uh, one thing I'm trying to get better at is just cutting the bags. Like the thing yeah. that I'm waiting for doesn't happen, or if the dilution just continues to progress with the ticker, I'm like, why am I holding it? Well, I think yeah. we'll see that when we talk with Bill in the upcoming interview. Is he's made a lot of money trading the OTC because he knows when to cut losses quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the old Timothy Sykes adage. You yeah. know, cut your losses quickly and. Uh, take profits. Yeah, I mean, these, those dudes made a lot of money doing that. Mm-hmm. So maybe it'd be a wise thing for us to pick up on their uh, their tips and start implementing that strategy ourselves. I guess, like, right. so, I guess review what I'm looking for this week. Um, just looking, I'm going to continue holding GBSI, maybe add, I don't really know. I already, I like my 110,000 share position right now. Look into potentially adding into our, our starting position, RETC, and I want to get in GGII. I don't know exactly how much, how many shares I want to get into either of those uh, tickers, but those, again, reverse mergers, <coughs> that's the play in OTC, it seems like right now. I think those, that's the move for me. Yeah, you got to ride what's hot, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to hold my Matic, hold my wand. Granted, wand's been annoying recently um, for crypto purposes. And Vamonti, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm holding that. I'm going to hold on to Ethereum for a long time. Yep, Ethereum too, yeah. So. A lot of good tickers. Um, anyway, I guess, you know, let's just dive into the interview. And, you know, we'll, we'll hear what Bill has to say. We learned a lot. We hope you do as well. Um, and once again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the interview. So, welcome to the second episode of the Slap the Ass Show. Mm-hmm. We have a very special guest on today to tell us about his experience trading and some tips and tricks he uses to beat the market. Our guest, Bill, who is better known as Bill's Stocks and Thoughts on Twitter, or at Bill's Stocks One, has been trading since 2005. He's amassed over 5,000 followers on Twitter. And after giving up trading for a few years, he re-entered the market in 2020 with just $1,500 and turned it into over 300 grand in just a matter of one year. So Bill's a great mentor to many traders, as well as a master OTC swing trader and options trader. So with that, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Luke. Thank you very much, James, Jimmy, whatever you want to be called. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I appreciate the introduction, you know, and I figure uh, it's taken me quite a while, a lot longer than uh, many of you have to uh, master the market. I know it's been an easy market at times, uh, but then it's been challenging. We had a slew of red days in March. (laughs) Right. But you have to adapt, really, if you want to be successful in the market. And uh, what I do is uh, I think about what I've done in the past, good and bad. I try to do more of what I do good and do less of what I don't do so well, because I don't want to repeat my mistakes and be where I was before. Mm -hmm. Times where, like, I've made money and then uh, lost it or I lost money even. I mean, nothing uh, compared to what I did now. It was like a few thousand dollars, but it was a learning experience, I'll tell you. <laughs> and, right. and I'm on Twitter. I want to help people. So 
they don't experience what I experienced like 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%, Bill. So I guess to, the point <clears throat> of it all is what initially got you into the market? Why did you uh, pick up an interest in investing and trading? And uh, what was your story? Like, what's the, uh, the introduction of Bill in the stock market? Yeah, well, it goes back to the 1990s, actually, the early 1990s, when uh, my dad's always been into trading. My grandfather's always been into trading. I mean, he traded stocks uh, more like investing into his 90s. And um, my, uh, like, I'd look and see what, you know, my dad was trading and he'd always turn on the stock channel when we went on vacation. So he'd be waiting. It's not like you can inconveniently, <clears throat> conveniently, you know, go on Schwab and uh, be like, hey, I want the price for Microsoft. You had to wait and watch the ticker on CNBC for Microsoft. And back then it was in fractions, not decimals. <laughs> so that's how long I've been doing it. Uh, and then my cousin, Dave, uh, he really uh, got me into stocks, especially the penny stocks. So that's what opened me to the OTC around 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. A lot of SEC suspension. And Bill, why, why did you pick penny stocks? Just you, you saw the potential upside with your cousin or... It just seemed like something cool to do. The like, latter. It seemed like something cool to do because the first right. penny stock I actually ever traded, it was in the dollars and it got suspended by the SEC. Like I was up 10, 20%. This was like the CMKX days uh, back in like right. before I was in grad school. And then I saw SEC suspended. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> oh crap. Right. Uh, luckily, I was able to, you know, cut some losses and move on to other things. I traded a sub penny at 31 hundredths of a penny because, you know, I had heard chatter about it. It was pretty much uh, blind dates with uh, OTC stocks and made 30 percent on it. Sick thing is it went to a dime in a couple months. So I missed out on probably about thirty thousand dollars and I only made a hundred. Hey, I mean, wins are wins, though, right? Yeah, exactly. And they're learning experiences. I mean, I'd rather make like a $30,000 profit now knowing a lot versus blindly being in the OTC market. So I joined Investor Sub in 2004. Hardly ever go on it now. I like Discord and Twitter much better. Right. I learned from some good minds. Uh, one in particular was, I'm sure you've heard of him. I like BB Stock. Uh -huh. He's a big one. Yeah, he's like the goat. And uh <laughs> He is the gold standard to follow. And he taught me a lot about uh, charting. So I would like try to learn charting myself while using his annotated charts he used to post on Investors Hub as a guy. Like I learned about the technical indicators, the uh, MACD, the um, moving averages, the RSI, and just general candlesticks. Mm -hmm. So how, how important do you think uh, like charting is with OTC trading? Because I think a lot of people now, they say like, oh, fundamentals, technical analysis doesn't really matter anymore. You know, everyone just says, you got to ride the hype train, you got a momentum trade. And, you know, I mean, technicals don't really matter. But obviously, when you started trading in 2004, 2005, it was pretty important. So how do you it was, use, and it still is somewhat. Yeah. Right. So how do you use that knowledge you learned in 2004, 2005, and implement it now in, you know, 2021, 2020, when you started trading OTC again? Yeah, well, I maximize my OTC potential. So I look at a combination of things. If something has a really nice chart and there's not much of a story or there's not much chatter about it, mm -hmm. then there could be more downside. So I like to combine charts and uh, due diligence. I try to network with good people like you two and uh, I'm in like a couple other Twitter chats. Uh, Wild Rhino is another really good one as far as the fundamental research goes. I'm glad I connected with him last fall on Twitter and he's helped quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So 
when did, when did you start getting into like Twitter? Because obviously you've been trading for, you know, 15, 16 years and Twitter discord rooms wasn't really a thing. When did you, when did you realize like, Hey, I'm trading and all these other traders are on FinTwit, you know, financial Twitter, and I can use their skills and assets to help me become a better trader. And I can teach other people how to become a better trader. When did you, when did you first start getting into the like Twitter online trading world? I guess. Oh, I was uh, using my personal Twitter account, you know, to occasionally post about stocks. I post about other things too, but I was realizing I want my brand to be about stocks. So I'm just going to end my personal Twitter. I don't want people I know to uh, know like every little bit about my life. So I'm just going to, in October, I was like, I'm going to start an anonymous stock Twitter. I was like, I wasn't expecting 5,000 followers. I was like, if I make one, one or 200, I would, <laughs> it would be pretty cool. But I wasn't out there for follower number. I was out, you know, to network with other like-minded people and just learn and spread yeah. the, and help others too. I want to spread the word, uh, share my experiences in the past so nobody else uh, has to repeat what I went through. <laughs> right, yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, your Twitter account's great. Like you said, you amass over 5,000 followers. Every uh, day I see you post your top tens. You know, you got yeah. <laughs> you up there, you know, got all these other stocks that you list up there that you believe have great potential for increased gains. Um, what specifically do you look at in a stock to make you want to invest in it and put on that list? What are the qualities of that stock? And, uh, you know, what- uh, Well, that's a great question, uh, James. Great question. We- uh... When I do my research, I like to look at the day's performance. I like to look at the long-term potential too of the stocks. And I want to look at why it went down. If a stock went down due to bad news or like uh, a big dump, it was just dump and dump, then it's less likely to hit my top 10. But if there's catalysts, like, you know, on OTC Marcus, there's a green check mark, uh, company update a profile. That means filings are coming. I'd use that. That method actually has made me the most money from my journey from 1500 to uh, well into six figures is the green check mark. And then you see filings hit. You also <clears throat> pay attention to the company's Twitter. Is it a legit Twitter or was it just put in like May 2021, like OC millionaire? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when I when I look at your top 10, generally the the common factors that I see in your top 10 are one, it generally is a low float stock. It's a low float penny stock, which low float to me is under a hundred million. Maybe to some people it's under 50 million. The other thing is there's almost never any like toxic convertible notes, right? So there's no yeah, bad data. No like, history of it. Or no history of it at least. So like mm -hmm. how, how much of a factor is the float and, you know, bad debt when you're, when you're analyzing OTC stocks? It's a major factor. Even I will say share structures mattered a little less in this era of trading, but mm -hmm. I can see a low float any day over something with like 30 billion shares outstanding. Like it depends on the price per share too. So if it's in the low uh, double, uh, like 0014, 0015, I think anything under 5 billion is low. And if it's uh, like around a penny or so or less, then I think maybe under 2 billion like STWC, okay. instance, the floats under a billion and it's 003. I don't even really have much, but I'm really eyeing it up as far as like uh, low float uh, marijuana play. I only mm -hmm. have 2.5 million shares, but I'm willing to possibly, you know, accumulate to 10 million, but I'm not going to rush to buy. That's another big mistake a lot of traders make. Like yep. there's always another bus you can catch or that bus might be more tempting later. 
Right. Yeah. I think that's a good call that you bring up because I think one of the trades I'm in right now, uh, GVSI, it's another George Sharp custodian play. Everyone's trying oh, to yeah. the next TSMT. Um, I got in high. I got in like 0.043. I pretty much bought in when Sharp confirmed custodianship. And since then, it's dipped down. It's like 0.0321, I think is what it closed at yesterday. I think it closed at 0.035, but yeah. Yeah, it bounced from uh, – I wasn't paying too much attention to uh, the stocks uh, yesterday because it was our 10th and wedding anniversary, but uh, – yeah. Congrats on that. Yeah, congratulations. I, did see, I was peeking real quick. Thank you so much. I was I was peeking at the market a little bit because uh, uh, we like we were staying at a winery and then uh, we ran a couple errands after we were done with it because we're looking at redoing our kitchen. That's what actually motivated me to start with the fifteen hundred. See if I can make five or ten thousand. Apparently, it turned into almost three hundred. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> I, I think that'll pay for your kitchen and then some, Bill. <laughs> yeah, we're also doing an addition uh, that we're going to excavate uh, in a couple weeks. So it's uh, exciting things. <laughs> totally. Um, anyway, so I guess back to my question is, how, when do you load your full position in the stock? Uh, I think one of the things I'm very guilty of is I kind of have my full position a little too early. Once I kind of realize the hype and the news hits that I look for, I try to have my full position. But in hindsight, you know, I could have had many more shares with less capital had I waited two days to fill my position at GVSI. So I guess, what are you, when do you fill your full position on a particular ticker? Well, the definition of full can change, you know, and sometimes maybe I'll want to like cut my losses, take a small loss and uh, wait for something else or just take a small profit. Uh, but as far as a full position goes, uh, sometimes it takes weeks or months, like VNUE I, uh, was, uh, when the SEC suspensions happened, VNUE was pink current, and a lot of stocks were being knocked down due to unrelated factors. Like they were going after the caveat emptors, the pump and dumps, but VNUE was one of the most uh, legit stocks out there. So I had zero shares. So one Friday, I uh, probably accumulated a little over a million shares at uh, like the two twos, two threes, and uh, it went. It actually went up to four cents uh, a couple of days later. I may have sold like a hundred thousand of my million, but I, in hindsight, I wish I would have sold more, you know, uh, but then again, I've been just accumulating more. I didn't buy high or anything, but when it was going back to those levels, it's like, I may as well just take this opportunity because I know they're going to go to the OTCQB. I know they have a product in beta. I know the CEO had sold a previous startup to Mark Cuban. So I'm at 3 million right now. And that as of now is my full position. If I hit it big in another stock or something, maybe I'll, and the VNU is still in the sideways phase, maybe I'll up it to 4 million. So Bill, uh, like VNU, right? V-N-U-E. That, yeah. I think the CEO owns approximately 100 million shares, correct? Yeah, I that's think. about uh, right, Luke. Very good. Yeah, and then the, the float is like 16 million, right? It's very low, like extremely low. Not extremely low. It's... Uh... The OS is uh, 1.1 billion or so, but uh, oh, okay. recently, they're not diluting. The CEO is committed to not diluting. I know a couple of years yeah. ago he was because it was in the early stages, but he's actually producing a legit product. And normally I'm not about fundamentals on OTCs, but this one actually has reasonable fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like with v VNU, right? Like, I think that's what you and I think a lot of other traders look for in a stock, right? It's low float. The CEO has a ton of shares in the company. He has a history with, I think he sold a company to Mark Cuban previously, right? Yeah. And this wasn't just a rumor started on Twitter. So I actually looked him up on 
I like to do my research beyond Twitter. Like I like to look on IMDb. I go on OTC markets. And uh, that's what convinced me that uh, I have three types of uh, trades I do. I have the short terms. I have like the midterm swings. And then VNU is more of a longer term. Right. Now, another question I have is when, when you enter a low float stock, do you ever have a concern of not being able to sell? Like say this, say the stock spikes, like, you know, a hundred percent because low float stocks can spike with any catalyst, like rapidly, right? You can a hundred percent your money in a matter of days. Are you ever concerned that if you have, you know, 3 million shares of a, you know, I don't know, say like a 200 million float, that you're not going to be able to fill those orders and you have all that money that you're, you're not able to sell or how do, how do you analyze that aspect of trading? Well, I like to look at the charts on stockcharts.com or the other charting app. There's something called volume bars I use. And you see these, okay. like, that's what I'm doing with my hand, drawing these rectangular bars. And uh, you look at the past, like, has there ever been a situation where you could sell like a fourth of your position and how often do they happen? So take drop, for instance, DROP. I'm still, you know, very bullish on drop. I, I accumulate a bunch of shares and I like BB stock play too. He's uh, likes to eye up uh, custodianship plays, which have been hot lately. Mm -hmm. And I accumulated over the fall. I was like, maybe this be the kitchen or get me you know, a good way to the kitchen but i'm glad you know the wait was longer because i was able to accumulate a million shares of it an 80 million authorized share stock and when it reinstated while i was waiting for you have to secure some profit so during the green and the heavy volume i was able to sell or i volunteered to sell like five hundred fifty thousand shares so my position's half now and i used that cash to either go into other trades or with <sighs> for my expenses that's the other thing people should do is like hey enjoy your money do stuff with it don't just let it sit and be greedy and thinking oh i'm gonna make five million dollars and be disappointed <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean that's a that's another thing that i'm a very guilty of is i uh you know i have very bad exit points with my stocks so i guess my uh, to follow up on that point they made though is what are you looking for when you secure profits how much of a gain generally would it take for stock to go up before you begin to start selling is there a certain point you're looking for or you just kind of feel it out based on the volume? It depends on the chart. It honestly depends on the chart and the volume. I think volume is a big thing. And I think a big mistake a lot of people make, which it's not a mistake sometimes if you're just going to flip it for like 10, 20% is uh, they'll buy when there's a lot of volume and it's green. I'm the other way around. I will sell when there's a lot of volume and when it's green and I will do so slowly and I won't necessarily do it all in one day. There was one stock, APTY, accumulated right before Christmas, 20 million shares. I saw the chart. I saw the indicators had a lot of room to run. Like the MACD was negative. The RSI was in the uh, bullish range, but not overbought. And uh, there was a resistance that could easily be broken based on the share structure, APTY. So right before Christmas, I accumulated the sevens, the sixes, and even a few fives. I got 20 million shares. It took me over a month to sell APTY, but I ended up making from a $12,000 investment, $53,000 in profit from APTY. Wow. Yeah, I think it goes to show that like when you enter a, a low float stock and you might not be able to sell, it's important to be patient because if, if you believe that stock enough and it's going up enough, those orders will fill eventually. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I, th I think you can't focus so much on the float and you got to focus more on the potential of the company and how the CEO is structuring the company, you know, um, in the long term. 
So if you can sell, even if it's a little bit, it's going to be a benefit to you over time. You just have to be patient, which I think most traders, including myself, are guilty of. It's like you want that stock to run 100% the next day because you're spoiled in the OTC when you have those runners that you make, you know, 100, 200% in a week and you expect every stock to be like that. But you got to kind of learn that you got to hold some stocks, sell other stocks. And it's a tough, it's a tough road to navigate because. I think a good example is like Jimmy and I entered the, you know, LTNC. The oh yeah. Ryan Shadel. I think a lot of CEOs yeah. from him actually, as far as being transparent. <laughs> right. So we, we entered that stock purely because of his personality in, I think it was like early February and we entered at like one cent. Right. It wow. ended up running. Uh, I mean, I think I had 250,000 shares. Jimmy had like 500,000 shares ended up running to like eight cents at one point over eight cents. And I was selling, like I sold at four, I sold at six, I sold at seven, I sold at eight, ended up making like a lot of money on it. But now like you look at LTNC, it's at like four cents, three cents because the hype's gone, but they could potentially make a real product. So it's like, how do you determine whether or not you hold uh, you know, a hyped high float position and just ride the momentum? And how do you determine when you, you, you know, you sell when it goes up like a penny. It's so hard to tell, you know, and I, no, feel but like, I feel like you've mastered it, you know. And I don't know about that because there are a couple times when I really should have sold a lot more than I did. And then it came, you know, yeah. back down. Uh, but I learned my lesson. And the next time it went up, you know, I let go of a lot. But the other thing I do is when it's up like that, I don't tell people to buy the stock. There are some people on Twitter that do that. Like, they're like, hey, this is going to go to this price or buy this they'll explicitly say buy but what they're doing behind their screen is they're selling i mm -hmm. mean i'm thinking about anyone in particular i'm just saying you know they yeah. uh, do that and i just think it's unethical because i'm here to help us and i like to talk more about the stock when it has potential versus it's been the thrill and euphoria stage yeah but i think you brought up a good point bill because all these twitter personalities they're only tweeting when they're buying I don't think anyone I follow is tweeting that they're selling, you know, like and they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they shouldn't because they want the stock to keep running. They don't want to affect other people and, you know, negatively hurt their position. But it's just funny to me because, you know, everyone's saying, Oh, I'm buying, I'm entering the stock, but as they're exiting, maybe they'll say take profits, but they're not saying mm -hmm. they're selling their full position, mm -hmm. you know, as it's running. And then they go quiet on the stock and then they move on to the next thing. Yep. So I don't know an interesting um thing. yeah i think luke has a good point that um i kind of want to like i guess reframe the conversation a little bit i in our like personal conversation you mentioned how you were trading options as well um, yes i was i'm glad you brought that up james because <laughs> i listened to your first episode and that hit home so much yeah i mean that's how i started out i wasn't i was like you know buying stocks you know whatever mm -hmm. just nasdaq moving nothing crazy like five to ten percent whatever then i went into options and you know, like the highs are high with options, but the lows are literally $0. So I guess, how was your transition for options? How did you like options and why did you uh, stop trading them? Well, I actually will occasionally dabble in an option here and there. I'm actually kicking myself because I like the daily chart on Halliburton yesterday. Like we were at the winery and I was like, should I buy, you know, like five sevens or wedding day, 57 uh, contracts of a 22.5 Halliburton, call it uh, three cents. And I'm going up to 40 some cents. <laughs> Would have made ah, and I told my wife, I was like, hey, at least I didn't lose anything. 
and it could have gone to zero. But uh, during COVID, actually, because I know like how uh, sometimes when there's a falling knife in the market, it'll just keep falling, you know, you never try to catch a falling knife either. So I would try to study what was going on in the news and knowing that the governments like state, local and federal would lock down certain things. So I was anticipating that like certain things would just shut down. Uh, We'd only go to like grocery shopping and until all this happened, I would short the uh, market and uh, just buy spy puts. Okay, yeah, spy puts were great back. I'm doing it. And even doing spy calls on the bounces. Once it got so low, I was like, we're due for a call and a bounce. And I actually hit like $2,500. But then I was buying other puts for thing industries where I thought they'd go down due to COVID. But then, you know, I was taking back a lot of those gains. So I was like, maybe I could. I did a lot better with pennies than big boards. So I was like, screw options trading. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. Would you say you uh, your position size in a penny is bigger? Like you invest more money in a penny stock than you would in an individual option call or put? Um, or like is the size about the same when you're trading options? Basically? I think the potential gains are about the same, but with a penny stock, uh, I think there's more room for error. So if you have to wait a while for those gains on penny stocks, you can. But on options, they expire. So even if the stock right. does go up after the expiration date, doesn't matter because you can't change the rules. They expired on that Friday and it's worthless. Goodbye. Try again. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, that's what my problem was. Just the options actually go to zero. Some pennies, like I said, they get delisted or, you know, they SC cracks down things like that. But, you know, if you have a good stock, which is what you're investing in, which Luke and I are investing in, they generally won't go to zero at least. Whereas an option, you could have a good call, just have the wrong date. And you lose all your money. Exactly. That's the thing, you know, with uh, that. And if I do options anymore, like actually my last few options trade, I made money uh, quite a bit. Uh, but uh, like I'll do it differently. I'll do like a longer term expiration date and I'll do uh, in the money versus out of the money. Like I did an in the money workhorse motors contract back in uh, September for three weeks out and I turned $360 into 1300. This was like in my early stages of the 1500. So my first trade, I'll admit I got lucky the first trade. I bought PAOG at triple O five. And then my wife and I were going up to uh, Lake Erie for the day and uh, PAOG released news for the first time forever. I was like, I need to secure profits at opening bell. And I secured half, I sold half and I sold the rest like at 002 and it kept going, but $5,800 after $1,500. I mean, that's probably the best trade I've made in years. (laughs) Yeah. So Bill, I I guess the question I have based off of that is when you first started trading in like 2004, 2005, Mm -hmm. what's the biggest lesson you learned from then till now? I mean, it seems like obviously securing profits is huge because like me as a new trader, um, I'll, I'll, I'll get in a play and it starts running and I just think, oh, it's going to keep running forever. And I don't secure any profits and then it plunges. Then you're just, you know, as they say, bag holding for yeah. until it goes up again. So like how important is securing profits to your swing plays in the OTC? Very important because uh, I learned from the old days that uh, securing a profit is something you should never be ashamed of. I mean, I made 17,000 on DSER. Had I held, you know, I mean, hindsight's 2020 that uh, I could have made half a million dollars had I held, but uh, link tops and bottoms is luck. That's one thing I learned. I say that's the number two lesson, but learning how to take profits is skill and you never regret a profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the big, yeah. Go ahead, Luke. Yeah. I was going to say like the, the term FOMO, 
like fear of missing out is very real in the trading world, and especially on Twitter because people are very rarely bashing the stock, you know, because if they're in a play, they want to pump the play, right? Yeah, so, especially, especially when they're unloading. Yeah, especially when they're unloading. So they're, they're pumping this play, and you're like, oh, this is going to keep going up, this keep going up. Like Dogecoin, for example, right? Like, I mean, if you listen to all these TikToks and Twitters, you're going to think Dogecoin is going to go to like $50 because everyone's so bullish on it. They're just saying all the good things. But you don't look at the downside where, you know, a Dogecoin has produced at the price of electricity. So Doge, the, the supply is limitless, right? But you're only seeing the good things. And exactly, much like that's the trading, thing. <laughs> yeah, like much like when you're trading OTC, it's like you only see the good things on Twitter. You see some bears, you know, occasionally. So you just think, oh, I'm going to keep holding, I'm going to keep holding, I'm going to keep holding. And then it crashes and then you're just sitting there with, you know, you're down 70% sitting on a bag that you're hoping will, you know, go up in the future. So, yeah, and that's a lesson learned, mm-hmm. Luke. It is a lesson learned. Like, just called if you want to maximize your profits, get in early. So, the FOMO you're talking about, like, if you really think about it, try to just, just like when you make an important life decision, you weigh the pros and the cons, and you should do that with stocks. So, we're mm-hmm. talking about the FOMO, like, it's running, it's running. So, Dogecoin, let's say it's 65 cents. I haven't checked since about one o'clock. I actually just bought Ethereum Classic for a bounce. If I can make like 20, 30%, that'll be great. <laughs> You'll make money on Ethereum. Just keep, it keeps going up. Classic. What's actually, what's the price of Classic? Oh, I'm in the check right now because I bought, uh, I bought, I saw a bottom on the chart on uh, Robin. Yeah, I think ETC is like 120 right now. Ish. Wow, 127. I'm already up. I bought uh, when I was eating brunch and I'm already up $13.90. I'm just trading beer money on my Robinhood for that and <laughs> I'll use my PayPal account. I might have bit dips by some Bitcoin cash. But as far as like going back to like buying into euphoria and weighing the pros and cons, uh, you think, oh, Dogecoin 70 cents. Right. To double that, you need it to go to 140. But on the other side, if it goes to 25 cents, which would still, if you bought it at five cents, be a five bagger, you look at that, you lost 60% of your money. So would you be okay with losing 60% of your money or just for a possibility of uh, maybe making 10 or 20 cents? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the whole risk reward concept, right? And I think it's big in the OTC. I think it's big in crypto is how much are you willing to risk? for a potential reward and what is the potential for losing the money for that reward. And I think that's why like an OTC investing, most OTC players, they want sub penny runners, right? Like you want to get in as early as possible and you want to catch a runner that goes to like two, three cents and you want to get out. And I think we were talking previously, the most money that you've made was on sub penny plays. Exactly. how do, how do you analyze which subpenny plays are going to become runners? Is it like social media sentiment? Is it float? Is it CEO? Is it product? Like, how do you find those plays? Because obviously you're, you're very good at it and you've made a lot of money um, finding those subpenny plays. Well, I saw a wild rhino. Uh, his pinned tweet is about the process of a reverse merger. So the earliest stages are like it wakes up after years of just being dormant. Like there's a custodianship. So that, you know, reduces the risk of an SEC suspension because the SEC is contacting all these tickers and they want uh, to see, hey, are you still alive? And if you have a custodian or if it's been reinstated recently and you know there's a uh, 
filings coming and doing pink current, the whole process. So I highly recommend you follow Wild Rhino. Uh, using that process has made me quite a bit. I look at the history of dilution. I look at the history of reverse splits. If it's a reverse split repeat offender, off my list. If it's caveat emptor, off my list, unless there's filings recently, like on SFIO. I don't have any, but uh, it's looking like that might have the same fate as AAGC, that it'll have the skeleton dropped and have a nice little pop. Right, so uh, I guess, things. yeah, totally. And I think the custodianship that you bring up, it's kind of a trend in the market these days. There was this back boom back, you know, a couple of months ago, it's kind of died down since. Now, the, you know, both the reverse merger boom and the OTC. TSMP is everyone's favorite example. Was a flooring company back in October, right? That's what the OTC market profile said, 0.0001. George Sharp brings on, or is uh, an advisor. They reverse merge with uh, Humble, you know, stock blows up. That's the hope of the GSVI, RETCs of the world. Um, I kind of want to transition a little bit to crypto, though, because you're saying like you're into crypto investing. I know you tweeted about buying Ethereum at 1700 But with crypto, there's no filings, right? There's none of that uh, those indicators to look at. So when you buy crypto, what are the themes that you're looking for for your crypto investments? Well, I look at the history, you know, I look at possible news events that could drive it up, like when there's a stimulus or something, because that's what I did, you know, trade Bitcoin. I mean, I trade in smaller amounts, even though I'm really thinking about uh, making, starting a little money tree, uh, withdrawing five or 10,000 in the next month or so, and opening up an account where I could buy like SafeMoon. I want to learn more about it, and I'm not going to, you know, jump in. I just want to do research, look at the upside, look at the downside, and if it's not a good buying opportunity, there's always another bus to catch, so... I look at dips and I, every time it has a big dip and crypto's still hot, there's a lot of sentiment because with this new breed of investors, they, they think crypto's the next big thing. So when it dips, I buy like Ethereum. I it was like $1,500. I put my PayPal cash into it and made a few hundred bucks. It dipped from 25 to 20. I bought some, I sold some, sold too soon though. And uh, I did it with Litecoin recently, sold too soon again. But then I got to remind myself, any profit's a good profit. Right. No, I think that's interesting because I remember I was looking at your Twitter account and it said that, I remember you tweeted that you had bought, um, you bought Ethereum at like, I think it was like 1600 or 1500, right? Is that what you bought? Yeah, I averaged down from like the 1700s to the 1500s and yeah. I thought it was oversold, you know, Ethereum. And I actually had a good buddy that uh, has been holding Ethereum for quite a while and uh, pretty knowledgeable about investing. So I think, you know, when it's cheap, it's on special. That's when you buy it. <laughs> yeah. And I think so when I've got into Ethereum and crypto, I only got into like crypto maybe I think it was three weeks ago. And the reason I got in was because Bitcoin dipped below $50,000 for the first time in like three months, right? So I was like, this is not going to happen again. I mean, the thing is, maybe it's going to keep dipping, but I didn't think it was going to keep dipping. So I I transferred like five grand to my Binance account and I bought, you know, I bought Ethereum, I bought Matic, I bought, um, what else did I buy? BNB. I bought one, I bought BNB and it ended up being the bottom. Now Ethereum, I think I bought it at like 21 something. Now it's at like over $3,800. Yeah, it had a recent pop, actually. Yeah, it popped recently. In the afternoon, I saw the dive in Ethereum Classic. So I was like, wow, this is an opportunity. I'm just logged on. I was like, buy Ethereum Classic. If it goes down further, I'll do it in my wife's account. So I'm actually, I'm doing on the side (laughs) with some of her Christmas money. Uh, 
she wanted me to put some and open up a Weeble account. So I just started with 500 to see if I could make a couple hundred dollars and started in January. And that's up close to $2,000. It's crazy. But like the thing with Ethereum or crypto in general is you don't, you can't, you can't analyze fundamentals like you can with OTC stocks. Like with OTC, you can look at, you know, like a float CEOs, you know, company structure, earnings reports, profits, revenues, all that stuff. With crypto, it's like, how applicable is it to the platform? You know, how can you transfer faster, all that kind of stuff. And I'm still learning, but like, how do you, how do you, how do you find your crypto that you want to be trading? Because for me, it's just, I, I, I'm basically a momentum trader with crypto. Like I, I hop on the train, whatever's hot, whenever it dips, I get in, whenever it runs, I get out. But beyond that, I, I don't really know how to how to invest in crypto so i'm still learning too luke you know i'm uh, (laughs) I'm doing the same thing you are i'm just doing it you know just for some side income especially when the otc is boring if i see a dip like there was one night i was thought dogecoin was dipping to like 14 cents from a high of 47 and like 1023 i bought uh some dogecoin 15 minutes later i made 25 percent just 15 minutes so that's to do i like to just seize the opportunity and just (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and like, hey, free money, free money, and cut your losses if it's uh, the trade's not working out. But uh, that's what I do, and I'm looking forward to the next couple months because even if Dogecoin doesn't have like the two to moon thing, there are going to be a lot of good swing opportunities for Dogecoin because the popularity is not yeah. going away. Like a lot of millennial investors and uh, Elon Musk just like talk it up. So, <laughs> right, I completely agree with that, Bill. And I guess going forward. Like when you think about investing, do you see yourself sticking with OTC and dabbling in crypto? Would you go maybe more heavy crypto, dabbling OTC, dabbling big boards? Like what, what are you thinking about as we go forward in the market? And I mean, it's funny. Everyone's complaining about on Twitter how their portfolios are at all-time lows, but Dow Jones at all-time highs, you know, because like a small caps are getting rated right now. Whereas crypto is, you know, killing it. OTC is kind of, you know, there's winners here, there's losers there. I guess what, what's your like thought process going forward? What market are you looking at in particular? Well, you got to be adaptable. So like right now, I'm probably about 80% OTC, about 15% crypto and 5% options. So uh, I'm probably going to be going a little more crypto in the next couple of months because I've learned over the last uh, 16 years that summers are generally slower, even though I think this one will be different because last summer, I think after the pandemic, uh, a lot of people were looking at working from home. They could trade some stocks as a side hustle. So I don't see it going away anytime soon. You know, it's not going to be anything like February, but it's not going to be as bad as say March. So I might go more crypto and I might even go big board because when you have like a couple hundred thousand dollars, it's going to be harder to sell like $50,000 worth of OTC versus $5,000. Right, right. Yeah, I think going back to what you just said is a lot of the retail investors I think it was it was something crazy. It was like 38% of retail investors have started trading in the last year, right? I mean, it was some crazy number. I think it was like New York Times article or something. So most of these traders that you see on FinTwit, that you see on Discords, they've only been trading since, you know, since COVID started back in March of 2020. So like you obviously have a lot of perspective, right? You've been trading since 2004, 2005. You've seen, you know, the, the recession of 2008, you've seen the highs and lows, you know, how to, you know, how to, you know, how to make money in different markets. What would be your best advice you could give new traders who just started trading um, since COVID happened in March? 
when they came in with all-time lows and they've done nothing but make money because the market has been running since then. And now I think the last like three weeks or so, you know, small caps have been getting hit hard and people are losing money and they, they don't know how to make money and their, you know, their brokerage account just keep going down. Like, how would you, how would you tell them to um, handle this market differently? I guess. Well, from experience, I'll say, I mean, the, nobody can predict the future. So cherish your profits. I know you talk about, it's true, about savings accounts, uh, being, actually losing money because of inflation. But if you have a near-term expense, like say the kitchen or paying off debt, withdraw the money. So let's say you start with $500 and you have $100,000 and you have $30,000 in debt. Seize the moment, pay off your debts. Your paychecks beginning from your day job will be put to better things like say, save money for your kid's college or save money for like a home improvement project or take a nice vacation or my favorite, which I've touched on in my navigate the OTC January is give back. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who aren't as fortunate as all of us and, uh, you know, just help another person when they're down or just uh, help with rare diseases or just whatever cause you're passionate about. And that's what we do too, is, you know, we, give some money back and we don't talk about it either you just do it and just let yourself and the recipient know about it you don't have to go on twitter and be like hey i just filled up someone's gas tank just be mm -hmm. a person with it do good with your money you know enjoy yourself and you know keep investing but always have cash on hand that's the other thing so let's say when five thousand to a hundred thousand you take fifty thousand dollars out to pay debt do some nice things for yourself give back have some on hand in case there's another great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's all great advice. And, you know, you have a wealth of knowledge, Bill. We really appreciate you coming here and sharing it all with us. Um, once again, your handle is BillStocks1 on Twitter. Um, we'll be looking forward to continuing to follow you. And, you know, I think one thing that I want to do now is, like you said, kind of secure my profits more aggressively and you know, just give back more and you know, make sure that everyone is feeling uh, better about themselves, whether financially or just you know, emotionally and make sure we're all doing well in this game we call life. Yeah, I greatly appreciate it, James. You know, I look forward to following you both more because I still, I mean, even though I'm 39 years old, I have a lot to learn. And uh, I know one of my buddies was like, oh, why are you still dabbling in penny stocks? You're about 40 years old. Like, I was like, because there's a lot of good opportunity in them. <laughs> so don't invest what you can't afford to lose. Like, don't take out like your life savings and put it in penny stocks. So if you have any like play money, like I did with $1,500, then seize the moment. But uh, put your family first, you know, God first, and then everything else will fall into place. Yeah, Bill. I mean, we really appreciate you coming on. You gave us a lot of good tips. It's, it's crazy to think that you've turned $1,500 and over $300,000. And we can see that you've learned so much over the years with trading that a lot of the new traders, you know, 38% of people who have come into the market, you know, are new traders in the last year. So I think we can learn a lot from this interview and we uh, really appreciate having you on here. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. So. Yeah, Luke and James, I appreciate you two uh, inviting me to, uh, come talk with you about stocks and i look forward to learning from both of you too because uh it's going to be a fun next few months so let's just uh see what the market gives us and then uh seize the moment awesome. exactly 100 agree all right let's get after it then 
Take care, Bill. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy Mother's Day to uh, your mother, all the mothers in your life. And, um, you know, enjoy this Sunday with them. Thank you so much. Same to you both. And uh, enjoy the weekend. And let's have a green Monday. Sounds good. Right. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. Later, Bill.